Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs and Proverbs in chapter number one. The book of Proverbs and chapter number one. We're in this series of the life and ministry of Solomon. We're also in another series dealing with Proverbs. So here we have the two messages, two series intersecting each other. Proverbs is written by King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And the book of Proverbs, many of them are the idea that Solomon is setting his son aside and saying, let me give you wisdom. Let me try to instruct you on things that you need to know. And as we come to the book of Proverbs chapter one, we find the introduction to this book with the purpose of this book as Solomon, if you could just imagine King Solomon pulling his son aside and saying, let me give you some wisdom. Let me give you some things that you are going to need to survive in this world and be able to thrive with what God has given to you. So notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Proverbs chapter number one. The book of Proverbs chapter one, and notice with me in verse one. Proverbs chapter one and verse one. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Proverbs chapter number one? The book of Proverbs chapter one, and notice with me in verse eight. Proverbs chapter one and verse eight, where it says, my son, hear the instruction of my, thy father. My son, hear the instruction of thy father father. And with this, if you could allow me to retitle this a bit, we're going to see things children must learn before they leave home. Things children must learn before leaving home. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, I'm just asking that you would open up your Bible in a special way, that you would give us the wisdom and discernment we need. Give us the understanding we need of this book, of this passage, of the things and the elements that you have here, that we could understand them for ourselves, for the reason that we could teach this to others also, that you could help us, guide us every step of the way. Lord, this is too important of a message for me to even dare to preach this on my own. So the best I know how, I surrender myself, my thoughts, my ambitions, my goals, what I want to get accomplished, I set those aside. And Lord, you just do whatever you want with your people and your word to draw them close to you, to get accomplished what you want done. I set myself at your disposal and that you would just make it clear let it be understanding, put your blessing upon your word and just work within the Holy Spirit of each one of these people in here to draw them close, to apply this and to teach those that they have the privilege of teaching. In your name we pray, amen. As we think about our children and think about all the things that they're on earth and you look at eternity we realize that there's only one thing that we could take with us to heaven. One thing that we could take with us to heaven. 
What is that? Our children. Our children is the one thing that we could take with us to heaven. We have the responsibility to teach our children the things they need to do to follow after God. After all, if you think about what God has given to us, God has given us the gift of children. Those are his children, his gift. And we as adults are going to be held responsible of how we raised his children. Sometimes we get a misnomer in our mind that there are kids and we could raise them however we want. But you understand that's so far from what's true. These are God's children given to us on loan. We have a responsibility for them. And one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of how well we raised his children to follow after him. Did we instill in these kids these things in their life? We only have a small amount of time to influence these kids. Now it may feel like forever when they're in your house, but it doesn't take long before they're gone. We only have them for a small amount of time. And during this time, it, there are things that God is expecting us to instill in the lives of every single one of them. When you think about kids, sometimes you'll hear parents say, I wish that my kids will just stay this age. Maybe they have a young baby. I just want them to be a baby all of their life. Oh, maybe they're just a cute little kid, just bright eye and smiles and puppy dog. Oh, I wish they would stay this age. And we understand what they say when they mean, but you know, you don't really want them to stay that age. It is God's plan and God's will for children to come into the world and not stay in childhood all of their life. If there was any child who would not grow past a certain age, there would be something wrong with them. Could you imagine a little baby who would never grow up that 20 years old, they still look like a baby? There would be something wrong with that. They are made to grow. They're made to mature. They're made to develop. And as they grow and develop, we have this responsibility to help them to grow, not just physically, but we also have to help them to grow spiritually and mentally. That just as if we had a, a little kid who wouldn't grow, they're 25 years old and they still like a little four-year-old. Well, the same thing. If they're four years old in their mind and we haven't helped them develop, there's something wrong. We want them to develop and mature in their mind, in their spirit, in their walk with God. And so with this, God has given instructions through Solomon, the human penman, to understand there are certain things that we need to teach our children that they must know before they leave home. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about two different things. First thing we're going to do is we're going to show them what we're supposed to teach them, what we're supposed to teach them. Then we're going to follow up with how do we teach those things. So God has given us the list. We're going to find out the what. Then we're going to find out how do we instruct these things into the lives of our children so that way those lists that God get, has given here is going to be placed in their heart. If you don't mind, let me just show you the 10 things first and then we'll ex give a brief description of each of those 10 things. Notice with me Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, notice as God gives this biblical list and you should always pay attention to Bible list. The first thing that we have is wisdom, verse number 2 to know wisdom. A second thing is instruction, verse 2. Then we have in verse 2, to perceive, this idea of perceive or perception. And then we have this idea of understanding at the end of verse 2. As we jump to verse number 3, we have the word justice. Justice, to receive wisdom, justice. Notice another word, judgment. Then we have the word equity, equity. As we go to now to verse number four, we have the word subtlety, subtlety. We have the word knowledge in verse four. And at the very end of verse four, we have the word discretion. These are 10 things here that we are supposed to instruct in the lives of young people before they leave home, to have them give these instructions so that way they can survive in life 
and succeed not only in life, but in their own walk with the Lord. These are the 10 things that we are to instruct our kids before they leave home. Let's give a brief description of each one so we can have an understanding of what they mean. What are they about? Notice the first one, wisdom. We are to teach them wisdom. Wisdom is having the mind of God. Wisdom is important. It's the ability to discern and use uh, everything that God has placed in our hand. We need to have wisdom about how to use this and wisdom about what to do with this. We need to have wisdom with the things that God has placed in our life to have the mind of God to understand what we're supposed to do. Wisdom, we know, only comes from God. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Later on in Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which is our theme this year. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from above. We understand that. The Bible is very clear on it. So wisdom is something we teach people. You have to look at God and God will grant you wisdom. We know that we live in an information age, but we don't live in a wise age. We have a lot of information out there, but very little wisdom. What do we do with the knowledge that we have out there? Wisdom helps us to understand what to do with that knowledge, that information. And wisdom points to God because wisdom comes from God. Wisdom is going to point things to God and point our children to God. As we continue on, just that was a brief statement of wisdom. Let's see this idea of instruction. Instruction. Instruction is setting things in order. It's teaching someone that teaching someone something that was formerly unknown. That's how we teach, by the way. We go from the known to the unknown. Our goal is instructing them and teaching them something they didn't know before, adding to that knowledge base, and that's done by instruction. Instruction points to God because God is a God of decency and in order. He created a decent and order world. He does everything decently in order. So instruction is the same thing. That we in a decently and orderly manner instruct the children with us. We teach them instruction. We teach them how to go from the known and the unknown. We teach them how to receive instruction. We teach them what to do with instruction. This idea of orderly and purposefully teaching our children. You know, we don't want to teach our children in a chaotic matter. Well, today I'm going to teach you baking, but I'm not going to teach you the instructions till next week. There's a thing of decency and in order. That's the idea of instruction. We're instructing them purposefully and in a way that takes them from the known to the unknown so they can know what was previously unknown to them. Then we come to the word perception, to perceive This is an important word. The idea of perception carries with it the idea to be able to tell the difference. Normally between two objects, we often do perception to be able to tell the difference between good and bad. But it tells it, perception tells us what's the difference between two objects, two things. Perception gives us the idea to recognize evil early because we're able to perceive, we're able to consider these two objects, to see them clearly. Many of us wear glasses. Why? Because without it, our perception's wrong. Maybe depth perception, it may be uh, closeness or things may look further away than what they really are. Our perception is often, we need corrective lenses. Well, we know that a lot of people, their perception's off. They can't tell the difference between two things. They can't tell if this is good and this is bad. They can't perceive it. That's something that we're supposed to instruct our children on to be able to evaluate and perceive the difference between two things. Is this good? Is this wrong? Is this something I should do? Is this not? To be able to instruct them with perception, to perceive the words of understanding. Understanding is the next thing on this list. Understanding is, comes from a compound word, under and stand. Under and stand. This helps you to build a uh, picture here that underneath us we have something that allows us to stand. It's building a foundation in our life. Something that will stand, that won't shift over time. Something that you could put solid, stand on it, and it's going to give you a basis to be able to evaluate everything else. Understanding allows us to take or accept right things and make it part of our life. Because I understand why this is important, I could add it to my life. 
we understand there's many people without understanding because they don't have a firm foundation. Things are always shifting. Things that they know is always shifting. So it makes it very hard for them to take things and make it part of their life for them to understand why this is important. Why should I do this? Why should I do this? Why should I allow this in my life? For example, there are many people who do not have a foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life because it's not built there. They don't have something to stand on. They're standing on internet values and Google and whatever the news says. Then when you try to tell them, hey, it's important to read your Bible, they don't have any understanding on it because they don't have a firm foundation to build something upon. Does that make sense? It's why they don't have understanding because they don't have this firm foundation. Notice as we go on, we have the word justice. The word justice, verse number three. Justice carries the idea of giving to each his due. It's dealing fairly with others. Now, we know that today people have trying to switch this definition, but justice is giving each his due. For example, there are some people have mixed this idea and say, well, it's not fair. Well, did you earn this grade? Absolutely. Well, did you earn this grade? Absolutely. Well, I can't switch the grades because I want to make them fair. That's not right. This is what he earned. This is what he worked for. That's the idea of justice, giving each to what he is due. Then we have the word of judgment. Judgment. Judgment is a frame of reference in which to compare things. I have a frame of reference that I can evaluate. This is what's good and this is what's bad. I can make judgment. This is something I should do. This is something I should stay away from. This is someone I should put part of my life. This is someone I should stay away from. Judgment is this frame of reference that we can compare things. And there's a lot of people who do not have good judgment. They don't know that the person they're hanging out with is not a good person. But this is something that we need to instruct our children before leaving home. Because isn't this important thing? That if they don't know who's the right person to hang out with, if they leave home not knowing that, they're going to head into trouble. They need to be taught judgment. Then we have the word equity. Equity. Equity is the ability to distribute judgment or to distribute things out fairly. Remember the word justice carries the idea of giving each to his due, what he has earned, what, it, what, it, what, it, um, what is the correct thing to give to him. Equity is not making everyone equal. It is making sure everyone is getting what they are due and distributing out fairly. Giving out fairly or orderly is what should be done. And we live in a world that has mixed up those definitions and has made things all kinds of wonky. They people feel like, well, this guy can work hard and I don't have to work. And so we take from that person who works hard to give to someone who didn't work. Well, that's not fair. It's not justice. It's not distributing correctly. We have the idea of equity. Then we have the word subtle, subtlety, verse four, to give subtlety. Now, some people have misused this word and carry the idea that it's something crafty and sneaky, but its definition, it, it means, it carries the idea to, of a thin measurement, something that is a fine, thin measurement. It gives the idea of giving just enough just enough, knowing now, know how much to give or to say or do, to give just enough. We know that people need to be subtle. For example, there are people who are not subtle with the information they give. They don't give just enough. They give way too much. They need to learn. We teach this at home, how to be subtle. Hey, there are certain things that you don't need to share with the entire world. We need to teach them how to be subtle, a thin measurement to give just enough, whether it's information or just enough, whatever else. Then we have the word knowledge, knowledge. This word knowledge carries the idea of a clear understanding of a subject. Knowledge carries the idea of a clear understanding of a subject. We know that there are subtle truths, but people be, need to be able to have knowledge of that to be able to have a clear understanding of even these subtle truths, these truths that give just enough. They're not blaring and saying, hey, look at me, but to be able to have understanding, I see that. 
I understand that. Then we have another word that's in here to complete this list. The word discretion. The word discretion. Discretion is knowing what to do and when to do it. Discretion is knowing what to do and when to do it. It's been able to distinguish the actions to take. I have discretion. For example, kids need to be taught when to say some things and when not to say some things. We used to say when I taught in a Christian school that, listen, we, if you don't believe half of the things the kid says about us, we won't believe half of the, what the kid says about you. Smile and laugh. I mean, because, you know, kids will say anything, right? Nothing gives more information than asking for prayer requests in a Sunday school room. Yep. <laughs> and you go, okay, never mind. Let's see if we can limit some of these prayer requests. Well, they need to be taught discretion. There are certain things we need to have discretion on. What to say, what to do, when to do things at the right time. When do we speak out loud? When do we be quiet out loud? That's part of discretion. When do we get up and run around? When do we use our quiet voice? Using the idea of discretion. All right? So these are the list of 10 things in the book of Proverbs that says what we're supposed to teach our family. Once again, verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase in learning. A man of understanding shall obtain unto wise counsels to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Now this is given, these 10 things are given as an introduction of the book of Proverbs chapter one. Then through the rest of the book of Proverbs, it's going to expand on each one of these thoughts and give a better understanding, better instruction of what these things are, how they're important, what we need, and how do we add them to our lives. So these are the 10 things just in a nutshell. Then the rest of the Proverbs builds upon these 10 things and gives us a better understanding of what these 10 things are. So we see here what we're supposed to teach, that there are things that we must teach kids before they leave home. Here's the list of the 10 things that we need to teach our kids that they need to know before they walk out of our house on their own. So the question is now, how do we teach them? Let's go to the practical. How do we teach these things and instill them in the lives of our children? How do we instill these things in the life of our grandchildren? These are good questions. So how do we teach them? Well, I'm going to give you a list of practical things that you could do in your own home to help teach this list and these concepts. The first thing here is teach them that the family is God's plan by living a joyous example in the home. Teach them that the family is God's plan by living a joyous example in the home. Now the emphasis here is not in the family. Teach them that the family is God's plan. The emphasis is not on family. The emphasis is not on plan. That the family is God's plan. But the emphasis should be on God. It is God's plan. This is his instruction. And because of this, God has given to this, that if you and I don't live a joyous example in our homes, then most of what we say will fall on deaf ears. This is going to be important. If you're grumpy about the things in your life and the things in your home, then your kids don't want to hear it. It's kind of like having someone going around and saying, I hate my church, I hate my pastor, I can't stand them. Hey, you want to go to church with me on Sunday? Why? If you don't want to go there, why should I want to go there? Well, the same thing, if the people at home aren't enjoying being people at home, then our kids are not going to want what we have. Does that make sense? We need to learn to live a joyous example. This is what God has given to us and we're going to make the best of what we have and then our kids will be more willing to listen to us and be instructed about the things they need to have. So many homes are without joy. 
So many homes are without this peace. And so many homes will have kids walking out of it says, I don't want this for myself. The home should be a joyous place, especially for children. Another practical way of teaching these things inside of our homes is teach them to honor father and mother by honoring each other. Teach them to honor father and mother by honoring each other. You understand children are watching us. How do wives treat their husbands? How do husbands treat their wives? There's been many a man who's tried to bully his home, pushing through and force his agenda, and then wonder why the kid doesn't have any respect because the father hasn't respected anybody else. There has to be this idea of honoring. Well, you say, well, I can't do anything about my husband. I understand that, but you can do something about you. You can still honor and teach them and say, listen, Things may not be the way that we want to, but for me, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to. I am, you're not going to learn rebellion from me. You're going to see how to live right even in the circumstances that we have. Kids watch that. They will take note of that. This is how we teach them is by example. Notice another thing, a practical idea. How do we teach these 10 things? Pray and pray with them, having them voice their prayers to God. Pray and pray with them, having them voice their prayers to God. There's this idea that we need to teach them by practical example how to seek after God. And that should be the point. Do they know how to pray? Do they know how to talk with God? You should pray with them and encourage them to use their own voice they should be able to use their own voice to talk to God. You have to teach them this and you have to work at this, but you have to teach them. In fact, you'll never know a person you want to know until you hear them talk with God. You'll hear more about their heart, what's going on in their mind as they're talking with God. Your children will learn your walk with God as they listen to you pray. And you'll start to learn what's on their mind and their heart when you listen to them to pray. Pray with them and let them voice their prayers to God. Our attitude with people is dependent upon our attitude with God. If God is not in his rightful place in our lives, then we will not have the rightful attitude in our lives. So let's just say that you're living in a home, dad's not right. Well, mom should be leaving the example, I'm going to pray for my husband. And I'm going to pray that God blesses them and that God works with them and that we're still going to honor them. And as the child is listening to them pray, they're learning how to respond in circumstances like this. They're learning how to deal with this. They're learning to make sure, hey, mom's not bitter with dad. You know, so many homes, there's so much bitterness. Mom just can't stand dad. Dad can't stand being with mom. And the kid watches this. God has forgiven you. You have to teach that example of forgiveness and you do that with prayer and they listen in and join with you. Pray with them and pray and let them pray. Instead of trying to straighten things out with human beings, which we like to do, you get thoroughly right with God. Watch what happens. If you get thoroughly right with God, as one of my evangelist friends says, mind your own business. You could spend a lot of time fixing other people and miss all the things that need to be fixed in yourself. And this starts with prayer. Can you pray and God bless them? God, would you work? God, can you do things? God, make sure that I'm right with God. Is there any bitterness? Am I angry with them? When we're right with God, we will get things right with other people. It is amazing. You could have someone that completely hates you and you don't have to be wrong with them. They don't determine whether you're right with God. Your relationship with God determines whether you're right with God. Determine to be right. And there's so many times God will send some prickly things to deal with in the human relationships just to point out that we need to get things right with God. I mean, you could be having a good day and your child say something and you're like, <laughs> just to point out, hey, maybe there's something you still need to fix in your life. It wasn't my kid that was the problem, it was me. Husband and wives are pretty good at that, right? You're having a good time with your, uh, your day and then your wife says something and you're like, 
God says, hey, I'm just pointing out that you got some things to fix. Now, the problem's not with your wife, it's with you. Work in our own relationship and our kids watch this. That they learn that doesn't matter who they're around, that other people and circumstances don't determine their joy. Their walk with God determines their joy. But they learn that by watching you pray. They watch you as you respond to them. These 10 things are to teach our children what to do later in our life. And they're going to learn it by watching us deal with others and how we pray and listening to us pray. Another practical way of putting these 10 things in our own lives and the lives of our children is to teach them God's word by reading the Bible and teaching them the basic knowledge of the Bible. Teach them God's word by reading the Bible to them and teach them the basic knowledge of the Bible. May I just speak plainly? Anybody who's part of a good Bible-believing church and you don't take the Bible and read with your kids, there's something wrong. You need to do that. Make it a part. Bible instruction should not be the prime place of Bible instruction should not be in Sunday school or the church. Kids should be learning the Bible at home and it is being reinforced at church. We cannot resurrect in one hour what is put to death the rest of the week. This is the parents' responsibility. I teach our Sunday school teachers all the time, you are not the teachers of the class. You are the assistant to the teachers. The teachers are the parents. We're going alongside with them, hopefully helping reinforce what they are already teaching their own kids. It is the parents' responsibility. You need to teach them the word of God. You say, well, I don't know the word of God. Well, we'll be glad to teach you so you could teach them. There's plenty of things we could do. But teach them the, the, the simple stories of the Bible. We've identified 360 stories of the Bible, one for each day of the year. Take a story and teach them the wonderful stories of the Bible. Walk them through. Teaching the Bible doesn't have to be a drudgery and it doesn't have to be a college class. Can you start off with teaching them the basic stories of the Bible? Can you work on that? Teach them how to read the Bible for themselves. Teach them that you've been reading the Bible. This is going to be important, the basic knowledge of this. If we are not doing this, we are failing what God has given us to do to put these things in their life. If we don't teach them at home how to seek after God, they will not seek God when they leave home. That's our responsibility. We're glad to assist the homes, but it is the parents' job to teach them this. Parents, grandparents need to teach. One of the greatest things you could do is to take the Bible and just read to your child or to your grandkid, to teach them the word of God, to teach them to seek after God, to teach them God's word. Teach them God's word by reading the Bible and teaching them the basic knowledge of the Bible. Another practical thing we could add in our homes to teach these things is teach them submission to authority by submitting to the needs of each other. Teach them submission to authority by teaching them to submit to the needs of others. We are so failing in this area here. We fail to teach our children submission to authority because they don't have an example to learn from at home. For example, people come to church and on the way back they're having roast preacher. Stupid preacher, I can't imagine him, blah, 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 blah. So later on when the kid grows up and he needs help, and you try to say, hey, preacher, can you talk to my kid? The kid doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Why? Because you taught him you can't trust his preacher. This idea of submission to authority, our society where they speak about police officers and they speak awful about them, well, they're not going to respect police officers. We teach them ourselves about submission to authority. We teach them how to respond to authority. And if husbands and wives don't submit to each other, as the Bible says, Ephesians 5.21, submitting uh, to each other's, uh, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. If we don't teach them how to submit to our spouses, to, to each other, the needs of each other, they're going to learn rebellion and not submission. This is something important. Remember, authority has the right to be stupid. They don't have the authority to be illegal, immoral, or biblical, but they have the right to be stupid. And there are times authority is stupid. 
But how we respond to that is teaching our kids how to respond to that. This is part of what it is. These are all practical things. These aren't sitting down. Today I'm going to teach you discretion. Where do they learn discretion? By how we behave in our own household and they learn it from us by example. So we teach them this idea of submission by us submitting to authority. Remember, submission to authority doesn't come when we agree with authority. That's called unity. Submission comes when we disagree with authority. How do we respond when we disagree with what authority is given to us? They watch that. They watch how we respond to it. They see if rebellion, and we can actually teach our children a rebellion when we refuse to submit in our own homes. And we raise a bunch of rebels because of example. Another practical thing we put in our children's life is teach them the importance of a local church by going to a Bible-believing church faithfully. You teach your kids how important church is by your faithful attendance. I understand there's providentially hindered where people are working. I understand there are things that you can't avoid. But if you can make it a church and don't, your kids watch and they see how important it is. Well, mom and dad didn't think it was important, so I don't think it's important. In addition, not only going to church, but how you go to church. If you wake up in the morning and you're grumpy about going to church and you're getting your kids go up there, you're teaching them that church is just a drudgery and as soon as I can get out from under this, I will. And as soon as your kids get out from under it, they will. If you're grumpy about going to church, you're going to teach your kids about grumpy going to church. You understand all of this. I get to go to church this morning. Hey, we need to make sure that we're prepared to go to church. So we're preparing on Saturday night. You guys got your shoes. You got your clothes out. So we know what to wear. We're making preparations for it. We get to go to church. We don't have anything that's going to hinder us. You're teaching them that this is important, that you plan for. It's not an afterthought. It's not, well, if I wake up this morning and if I feel like going, I'll go ahead and go. You're teaching them it's not important. But if you plan and organize beforehand, they start to go, there's something to this. There's something important to hear. Mom, dad sees it's important. I'm going to see it's important too. No wonder we're losing kids all the time from going to church because they're raised on drugs. They're being drugged to church by grumpy people who don't want to be there themselves. I'll just endure the message today. I guess if I have to show up, I'm going to be at church, but I'm not going to be happy about it. And we're teaching our kids that this is not important. This is not worth it. That we have to do this and we're just checking it off and let's, we're just getting it out of the way. We're teaching by example how we do these things. Whether it's our kids or our grandkids. We're teaching them the importance of a local church by our faithfulness and our attitude towards it. We determine so much about what our children receive by our own attitude towards the things of God. I mean, think about this. Do they catch you reading your Bible? Do they catch you praying? They should. Have you ever been caught praying? You're kneeling down praying and they open the door. And go, oh, mom's praying. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's a wonderful thing. Oh, I walked up. Mom's reading her Bible. Shh, let's be quiet. Mom's reading her Bible. Isn't that teaching them that this is important? They learn something from this is important. It was important to mom. It's going to be important to me. We're teaching them how to respond to the things of God. Another practical thing is teach them the way of heaven by living the Christian life and instruct them in the ways of salvation. The greatest advertisement of the Christian life should be what they see in our own lives. Teach them the way of heaven by living the Christian life and instruct them in the way of salvation. Remember, people are tired of hearing about Christians. They want to meet one. The greatest advertisement that Christianity works is the evidence of a changed life. That there's something to this. Mom was glad to be a Christian. I want to be like that too. Well, Christianity wasn't a big deal. <laughs> Dad never read his Bible. Grandpa never read his Bible. They call themselves Christians. Oh, if it's not important to them, it's not important to me. What a horrible thing to be able to grow up in so-called Christian home and a child never accepts Christ as their Savior and goes to an awful place called hell. We understand there are lives in the balance and they're learning by watching us. 
Do we have a type of life that kids say, I want that Christianity for myself? As we go on, another practical thing, teach godliness with contentment by having a happy home. Teaching godliness with contentment by having a happy home. Heaven forbid if we teach our children that the only way to be happy is to have something else, something more. I need something else. I need a new truck. I need a new car. I need a new dress. I need new shoes. I need, I, and always be wanting, wanting, wanting. We should have a home where we're teaching them to be satisfied with what we have. I'm thankful for what I have. Let's be happy with what we have. And if God gives us more, great. But do you have a happy home? There should be a ring of laughter inside of the home. It should be a gathering place of happiness where the kids want to be home because it's a happy place. That's our part of being an example. It should be a type of place where kids would rather bring their kids home than go out to their place. I want my friends to come here because it's a happy home. It's going to be a place where, man, you'll enjoy it. It's a place of peace. Is it a type of place where you're Kids want to be there and they want to bring their friends there. That should be the type of home. Man, we have a good time. My dad is so great. We laugh. Oh, mom's a pleasure to be with. We've all been to the homes where we've been embarrassed. Have you ever been to one of those homes where you get in there and watching mom attacking dad and you're like, okay, nice. You're like, please don't look at me embarrassed. I'm not here. We've all been to those homes. It should be a type of home where, man, it's fun to go at your house. And it's wonderful to be here. Everyone's laughing and they're happy. Can you be content with what you have? I didn't say perfect, but can you be content with what you have? We're teaching our kids to have godliness with contentment. It's great gain. But if we're teaching them, I got to have more, I got to have more, I got to have more. You're going to have someone who's going to be very materialistic when they grow up. They've got to have more. They've got to have more. I've got to have this one more thing. I've got to do this. I've got to get this. I've got to get this. And they're never going to be satisfied themselves. They're going to be miserable. Never content. Never happy. Something else. We teach them to be truthful by being truthful. We should teach them to be truthful by being truthful. We live in a society that promotes lying. Lying is acceptable. We lie to them about holiday stuff. I'm avoiding hate mail today, but we lie to them all the time. And then they find out, mom lied to me about this. What else is she lying to me about? This idea, we should be truthful. It should be a type of thing. My dad said it and it has to be true. My mom said it. It has to be true. We need to be truthful with the things that we say. This idea of exaggeration or lying or telling fibs or not owning up. If you make a mistake, be truthful. I made a mistake. You're teaching your kids how to admit when they make a mistake. My, some of you know, I've told this before, but the biggest crime sin in my house is lying. Why? Because we want to teach them it doesn't matter how much trouble they get into. As long as they're honest with us, we can help them. And that should be true of any time. That's true of God. It doesn't matter how much trouble you get into. You could always go up to God and he can help you if you're just honest with him. We need to teach us honesty. If we need to have the thing. If you messed up, you need to admit it to your kids. And be honest with them. I'm sorry I messed up. Instead of trying to uh, hide it or try to build up a thing and blame someone else. They watch that. They learn that. If you want them to be truthful, you have to be truthful. Then we teach them how to be personally accountable by God by being motivated by being accountable to God. One day we're all going to stand before God and give an account. And let me tell you, most people do not realize how important that is. Because at the judgment seat of Christ, if you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... We're not going to be judged for our sins, but we're going to receive rewards or loss of rewards. We're going to lose rewards. And those are going to show up in the millennial kingdom. 
And the millennial kingdom, God is going to use us based off of our faithfulness now. Basically, we're in a lifetime job application. We're going to stand before God and give an account. Everything is going to be given to account. The Bible says every idle word we say is going to be given to account. And when you realize that everything you say and everything you do, you're going to stand before God and give an account, that should change how you behave. There are certain things you don't allow in your life. And your kids watch that. They learn that this is important. I'm going to stand before God and give an account. How I live my life does matter. Everything that I do is going to be brought into the light of day. There's nothing secret. The things that I think I'm getting away with in my own room in the darkness, you're not. There's a personal accountability that I have to stand before God and give an account on my actions and what I did and why. And your kids will learn that by watching if this is important to you. I don't care if I stand before God, what's he going to do? They watch that. It is a very big deal. This is how we teach those things. We teach them to forgive by forgiving others. We teach them to forgive by forgiving others. Now, I understand that not every home is perfect. But may I say, if you don't have a perfect home, you have a perfect opportunity to prove this. Your kids know whether you have a good marriage or not. They do. And they also see how you respond to it. You can say, I'm going to forgive my good-for-nothing scumbag husband over and over. You won't use those terms, I understand. You, illustration. But your kids will watch. Listen, I saw what my dad put my mom through, and my mom forgave him anyways. I can forgive anything that you do against me. They learn forgiveness by watching how you respond. Can you forgive your husband? Can you forgive your wife? Can you forgive them even when they're wrong over and over and over and over? You say, but that's hard. I know, but you realize that God forgave you for all the stuff you did over and over and over and over and over and over. We're just following the example of Christ, but understanding that you have little eyes on you that are watching you. And they are learning how to respond to others. You don't want your little kid growing up being bitter with his wife, right? Where is he going to learn how to forgive his wife when she's crazy from time to time? From you and how you respond. Or your daughter to someone else. I understand there's not a single time where both people are going to be perfect. You say, well, I hope they don't have a bad marriage. I hope they don't either. But what if they have a good marriage and their husband and wife make one small infraction? They forgot to pick up the socks up there. And you know, in some homes, that's enough to cause World War III. Right? It's all right. Nod your head. Smile. <laughs> we need to teach them how to forgive others so that way they can survive the relationships that they have without being ripped apart. And they're going to learn that from you even if you don't have the type of marriage that you would have wanted to have. Does that make sense? They're watching you. One more thing, and you've been very patient. We teach our children to have faith in God by looking to Christ in blessings and in troubles. We teach our children how to have faith in God by teaching, by looking to Christ in both victories and defeats, and blessings, and troubles. We teach our kids how to have faith in God, both in good times and bad. We need to teach our kids that when blessings happen, we're going to thank God and say, God's still good. And when the horrible times happen, we're going to be able to say, God's still good and God's still right. We're teaching them to have faith in God. You know, God's not just good when good things are happening. Sometimes it's how we talk to him. Well, God's been blessing me lately and I've been having this and the rainbows have been going and puppy dog tails and unicorns and all this fun stuff. But then all of a sudden something bad happened and the world's falling. Oh, God's not good to me. He hates me and I don't understand why. God's good regardless of the blessings. He's good all the time. God knows what he's doing. God may be doing something in your life to bring you close to him. He may be doing something to prepare you to have a better blessing. God knows what he's doing. 
And we teach our kids to have faith in God by them watching us. Are we able to praise God when everything's going well, when most of the time we forget God and don't think we need him? And are we able to say God's still good, God's still right when things are happening that are wrong? When you get sick, is God still good? When you have a flat tire, is God still good? Our kids watch this. And they learn to trust God by how we respond to God in good times and bad. We have a responsibility as parents and then as grandparents, such a great influence in our children. And we have the responsibility to teach these things that God has given to us. We must teach our children this list. And there's a practical way of doing it. By learning to live and behave as a Christian ought. They watch our example. They watch how we respond. They watch how we carry ourselves. They watch our joy. They watch our peace. They watch our contentment. And they learn from us. And when we don't have the joy contentment, when we're grumpy and rebellious, they learn those things too. And one day they're going to leave your home and they're going to take what you have taught them and that's how they're going to live their lives. We have a responsibility to teach our children these things, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, standing, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, and to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase in learning, and a man of understanding shall obtain to wise counsels. We have a responsibility of teaching these things to our children. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Things that children must learn before they leave home are learned by us in our example as we live our life for the Lord. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.